Well, welcome everybody to this uh, podcast, which today is on repentance. And this is part of our foundation series of uh, topics that are really important for us as Christians to thoroughly understand so that we can represent Jesus well when we present these topics and these uh, things that are important to our faith to other people. So Jesus, we just pray today that you will open our hearts and minds to the things that you want us to understand today, that we will have your mind today. Thank you so much for your amazing salvation, for your amazing gift of repentance. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So Repentance is such a crucial truth to understand for those who want to come to faith in Jesus. Um, And repentance is at the threshold of coming. It's at the doorway because it's the first thing that a person needs to do in order to come into the kingdom of God, to become a Christian. It comes before faith. Okay, before believing, there's no other way to faith except through repentance, and then comes the believing and what Jesus has done. Now, I used to think that repentance was quite a, a harsh topic, quite a topic of about uh, wrath and uh, uh, naughty, naughty, and all those kind of things. But I've come to see that repentance is all about God's grace. It's full of God's kindness, not his judgment. Because when Jesus came to the earth, he came as a savior. He came to save us from the wrath that was due to us because of our turning from God and choosing our own way. Now, um, this is really clear in Romans 2, verse 4, uh, and Paul's discussing with the Roman Christians some quite weighty topics, but he says this, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So it's God's kindness that leads us in this direction. It is the initiative of God, not ourselves. Where he's tapping on us and saying, hey, um, this isn't the good way. This isn't my way. Um, Let's talk about it. Let's do something to get out of your mess and into my abundant life. It's an amazing thing that our God sent Jesus to find us this way to this undeserved abundant life that he wants us to walk in. You know, I want you to think about uh, a little child with their hands full of all the things that they want to keep in there. They've got toys galore in their hands and you've got something really great to offer them. But the problem is they've got all their own stuff and there's actually no room for them to hold one more thing in their hands. Now, 
I'd sort of liken this to how we sometimes come to God with our hands already full of our own goodness and what we deserve and our arrogance and uh, the things we want to do with our life and the pet things that we're not going to let go of. And we've got no room to take hold. We've got no empty hand to take hold of God's wonderful provision. You know, we have to empty ourselves of every attempt to do things our own way. And in Isaiah, the Bible says that our own righteousness is like filthy rags to God. It doesn't come up to scratch in any way. It doesn't meet with the approval of our pure, holy God. We have to empty ourselves of all this and all the sins we've held on to that cling to us like slime. We have to get rid of it. To, and this enables us to take hold of that gift of faith that God offers. So the getting rid of it part is part of repentance. Our repentance gives God permission to destroy the works of the devil in our lives so that it can be replaced with God's life in us as we believe and confess Jesus. Now 1 John 3 verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared and come to came to earth was to destroy the devil's work. That was his whole that encapsulates his whole reason where why he came as Saviour to destroy the devil's work. So when we take it personally, the whole reason the Lord wants to come personally to us is to destroy the devil's work in our life and replace it with his life. Okay, so salvation is based on a very personal foundation of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about salvation before, and we know that it starts with Jesus coming personally to us and confronting us. So let's just look a moment at Matthew 16, 3, 13 to 16. Matthew 16, 13 to 16. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, mm, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, <coughs> and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so in this little bit, we see that this is Jesus confronting Peter in the way that he will confront us. Who do you say that I am? And this is the moment where we can sometimes have a moment of truth given by the Spirit of God we, where we see who Jesus really is, the Son of God. So we've had the confrontation where Jesus confronts us. What do you think? We have the, re there's no one else, it's just Jesus and us. And then there's a revelation given by the Spirit of who Jesus really is. And then the third part, if we're coming 
to know Jesus, we want to know Jesus as, as acknowledgement, is that we decide that we will not refuse this revelation and we will embrace it. And in that stage, that's where repentance comes in, which then is followed by believing our faith in Jesus. And finally, just what Peter had here, had public confession of faith, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So we know that repentance fits right there in when we first come to know the Lord. And then it's a practice that we make of cleansing ourselves um, during every day of our lives to keep ourselves pure before the Lord. Okay, so we also know that repentance is a foundational truth. It's absolutely on the uh, foundation. We read from Hebrews 6. Let's go to Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 3. We've been here before. Uh, Hebrews 6. And this shows us that uh, repentance is one of the doctrines, the, the uh, things that are very much at the foundation of our faith. There we go. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So we can see that repentance from acts that lead to death, or dead works, as some versions say, is right up there in the foundations that we need to lay in order to build a solid building. And sometimes our uh, Christian walk is spoken about as a building. We are a temple of God. We are a building. And we can't move on to maturity as Christians without a solid foundation. Um, it is possible for us to spend all our lives having an uneven, an un, uh, a weak foundation and we can't move on. It causes us to be double-minded, to be unstable in our faith, sometimes up, sometimes down. Hard times come and we collapse. Then we have another rising up and we feel we've got faith again. But, you know, um, part of building a solid foundation is that we are stable when things are really difficult in our surroundings, in our situations. So we need to have an eternal vision of our faith, not just about this life, but about eternity and what, and seeing everything through the gaze of eternity. We talk about dead works here. It's faith, a foundation. We need a foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death or dead works. So what are these? What are the things that we need repentance from? Well, dead works is anything that's not done in faith towards God. Even could be quite noble works, really nice things like giving to the poor, saying prayers, or even going to church. Uh, maybe they're not sinful, but they're just faithless. We can do these things without any faith at all. In fact, we can do these things with an intellectual assent, 
yeah, that's a good thing to do, but it actually can have nothing to do with our faith. Faith, uh, so repentance, is not an emotional thing either. What is it? Repentance is a decision. So it comes from our will, not our emotions. Um, you and I both know that emotions are unstable. They go up, they go down. Sometimes we feel good. Other times we feel something quite different. Emotional experiences don't last because they've never really changed the will of the person. The Greek word for repentance gives us a really good idea of part of its meaning. So it has a meaning of to change your mind, to change your thinking about the way you've been living. So you can change your way of thinking about your life, your living, what you've been doing. The Hebrew word has another meaning in it, and it involves a result. It means to turn around. So in order to get the full meaning, we combine both those historical language meanings. And what we come up with is that repentance means a decision, making a decision followed by an action. So really, what we're doing in our will is saying, I will not do this anymore. I will not walk this way anymore. That's the decision. And then it's followed by us turning right around and going in the opposite direction. So that gives the full meaning of repentance. Many people actually make a decision to become a Christian but they've really never made a decision to surrender to Jesus Christ as their Lord. And we talked about that when we talked about uh, the meaning of salvation, that Lordship Jesus as our Supreme Master is such an important understanding to have uh, so that we um, grow in the Lord, so that we have a, a truth base for our life with Jesus. Okay, so we can look at the prodigal son and we can have a wonderful uh, understanding there of repentance. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. Sometimes people have called this uh, the story of the amazing father because it is a story of what God the Father is like and we can learn so much about Father God from this but today we're just looking at how we see repentance here so there's a man who had two sons and the younger one said father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them and not long after that the father got all the son got all he had and set off to a distant land, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that company who sent country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Oh, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay, he's at rock bottom. When he came to his senses, that's his moment of truth, he said, oh, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Oh, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has found. So they began to celebrate. And then we have the picture of the older son who was very envious and felt like he'd been hardly done by. But the key thing I want to bring out is the moment of truth where the prodigal son turned around. He suddenly thought this is not given good results and my father has something way better than this I need to go back to him so he completely repented and then he was so welcomed back by the father just the way God welcomes us back when we come to him in repentance so that's a really beautiful picture there's so many things that we can um, delve into when we look at that passage so the next thing about repentance is there's such a thing as false repentance and we could probably call it remorse. Now remorse means that you feel really bad about something you've done but remorse doesn't, isn't a change. It's just a feeling bad. Now an example of that is Judas Iscariot. If we look at Matthew chapter 27 verse 3 to 5 Verse 3 to 5, when Judas, who'd betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and turned, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I've sinned, he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. Uh, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. So one would have to say here that Judas had got to the stage where his, his thinking and his refusal to um, work with Jesus um, probably brought him to a stage of no return. But he had remorse here. He could see what he'd done was wrong, but there was no change. And when we, uh, we can also look at Esau, Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he couldn't change what he'd done. The thing that uh, it makes God angry is when we deliberately despise the grace that he freely offers us and the inheritance that he offers us in Christ Jesus and we turn away to pursue something cheap and worldly. You know, for Esau, he was so hungry, he didn't care about his inheritance because he just wanted this meal that he could smell. And it just talks to us of the sometimes when we just want worldly things and we turn away from the um, eternal things that Jesus is offering. And Jesus says, don't, here clearly there's a warning from the writer, don't do this, don't be like it, don't grab hold of temporal, worldly things that last such a little time um, and make them seem more important than the, your eternal um, life. Okay, so it's really important that we see eternally. We don't just see from the um, view of this life, but we have an eternal vision. So we know that there's no faith without repentance. When John the Baptist came, this, we can see a pattern here. John the Baptist came to God's people Israel, and what was he preaching? He was preaching repentance. Israel had to come through that experience of repentance or they wouldn't be ready to meet their Messiah. It was, it was just so and so clearly. When we read in Matthew, you can read in Matthew 3 about John the Baptist preaching repentance. And then you look at, Matthew, at Mark 1. Let's just go to Mark 1. Matthew, Mark, Mark 1 verse 14 to 15. So these are the first things that Jesus is saying. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into uh, Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the first words of command we hear from Jesus are to first repent and then believe. And it hasn't changed when we get to Jesus just before the ascension. If we look at Luke chapter 24 verse 46, right at the end of Luke, verse 46. And Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then we get to Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 
and he has this amazing sermon where he preaches to the Jews and they're so cut to the heart by what he says. They say, brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off for all whom the, the Lord our God will call. So this is a clear call from Peter exactly the same first in the order is repentance and then comes the other things I think that repentance and believing are probably meant together and then baptism in water and receiving the Holy Spirit. This is a pattern through Acts. Interesting to note that everyone who claimed salvation from Jesus in Acts, you see them being baptized in water. It was a clear pattern. Repent and believe, be baptized, and then be filled with the Spirit. And often, then, you see that people were immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit. If we look at Mark 16, verse 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever doesn't believe will be condemned. So believing and being baptized was so closely linked together. Sometimes we don't link it. Sometimes people have many years where they are not baptized, and I believe they're missing out on some key foundational things. We're going to cover this later on, actually, so about baptisms. But it's as important in the word that they go together. The church has to be careful that we don't water down the gospel of Jesus Christ and give a false impression of what it means to become a real Christian. As repentance is so important, but the public declaration through baptism is also important. It's interesting to know that uh, overseas in places of great persecution, when somebody says, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus, that doesn't hold the same uh, weight as when that person gets baptized. That is the time when they are likely to find extreme persecution. Now, yeah, you can say it. And people know you can say these things, but when you are baptized, that holds a lot of weight and um, it indicates something much more serious. Okay, so who has to repent? In Acts 17.30, it talks about all people everywhere. So this is Paul and he's... a uh, in the Greek city of Corinth and he's found this interesting place in Athens sorry he's found this interesting place full of idols a place with an altar to the unknown God just in case there's another one that they didn't know about amongst all their gods 
that they worshipped. And Paul preaches to them, and during that sermon he says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, that's Jesus, who he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So who has to repent? Everybody. All people everywhere. This is backed up by Isaiah 53, verse 6, where it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. All, not just some. We have turned everyone to his own way. It mightn't be idolatry or murder. It mightn't be um, a big, what we would call a big sin. But all of us have turned to do our things our way and not God's way. Independence. Leaving God out of the picture. And this is what we need to turn repentantly to God from that okay it begins with God though the interesting thing is we can't make ourselves repent the repentance comes first of all from God and we're dependent on the grace of God apart from the moving of the Holy Spirit we cannot repent and that's why in Psalm 80 it's got this little refrain three times during the psalm and it says restore us O God cause your face to shine and we shall be saved and the Hebrew there has the meaning turn us back O God or cause us to repent O God cause us to repent O God and you can't repent unless the Spirit of God works in you. The turning starts with God, so it's really vital that we work with God. When he um, pinpoints things in our life, and, you know, when we're, he's calling us to himself and saying, you know, you need to get rid of these things because I've got so much I want to pour into you that you need to get rid of this stuff first it's important that we work with him and we don't shrug it off because the alternative to repentance ultimately is death if we don't repent if we keep going our own life and we neglect the grace of God or reject the grace of God calling us to himself ultimately um, eternal life will not be ours we've got to choose First of all, to repent and then to believe. So repentance is the way to faith. Faith always in the word of God, not in anything else. We can use faith in a different way when we're talking about, oh, I've got faith in the, in the doctor, he's really well known, or something, that's okay. But when we read about faith biblically, repent, uh, faith is always in the word of God. It's here and now, and it's a substance in our heart. It's an action word, not a static thing, this faith, this believing. Okay, so we're going to deal with that next week. We're going to deal with faith and works. But this week, we want to go back and remember that
that repentance is the very first thing that we need when we're coming to Jesus. It comes before faith. There's no other way to faith except through repentance. We want to remember that repentance is the kindness of God longing for us to be saved and to walk close as his sons and daughters. It's not anything um, that's harsh. It's all about his kindness and his great love to us. So we want to listen to God, listen carefully to him because he always has our good. He wants to pour his goodness on us. That's his, his desire is that we would choose his life and walk in the abundance that he wants us to walk in. Okay, thanks everybody. Let's just pray. God, our God, thank you for this amazing gift of repentance. Thank you, God. We want to listen to you. We want to be able to speak your truth because it's so, so important that we get this right, that we get rid of our stuff, our sin, our independence, our rebellion, and come before you so that you so that we can be filled with your life. We can walk through that doorway to faith. Thank you for your amazing gift to us of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.